Hey, it's cheesy corporate music that we got for free, which means it's time for the Mo Egger podcast. Our second episode of season one. Thank you for listening. My name's Mo Egger. And Jeanette Levy is my guest today. And Jeanette is an anchor and reporter for the Law and Crime Network, which she joined about a year and a half ago, I guess, after a, a really good run at Channel 12. Sorry, Local 12. Uh, and Jeanette's from Cincinnati. She went to the University of Cincinnati, and I think she reflects what the main idea behind this podcast is, which uh, is supposed to be uh, what I hope are interesting conversations with people who I think are interesting. And Ann Jeanette, not somebody that I had met other than one time prior to us sitting down for this podcast, uh, we met at a skyline, Chile of all places, in 2016 when she was working on a story about UC. Uh, but beyond that, our our relationship has been limited to social media. But I and here's why I wanted to have her on. I've I've always felt like whatever she's covering, and it could be a high profile trial, it could be a trial involving people that I'd never heard of, could be local, could be you know regional, could be national, could be city hall when she was at Channel 12. I've always felt like she does a really good job of making what she covers seem interesting even if I ordinarily wouldn't be interested in what she's covering in a prime example. And I thought of having her on this podcast while she was doing this. She covered the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, which I'll be honest with you, man. I had no idea who Amber Heard was, but Anjanette covered that. And she was in Virginia every single day. And whether it be on law and crime or her social media accounts, I've always felt like she did a really good job of sort of encapsulating the drama, why this case was a big deal, why it should be paid attention to, what the possible outcomes are, what the possible ripple effects of the outcomes are. And so um, it, not only that, she's covered a lot of really high profile stuff. Going back to her her time covering uh, news in Wisconsin, she covered the Stephen Avery trial, which was the basis of making a murder on Netflix. She has covered extensively the Pike County murders. She's covered uh, Derek Chauvin's trial, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, she's covered local politics and so has a unique perspective on on what went down with uh, P.G. Sittenfeld. Um, and she's also, and this maybe stands out to me more than anything, and we're going to talk about all that stuff, but we're also going to talk about how one of the very last conversations I had with my grandmother involved Anjanette Levy. Um, we'll talk about some of her experiences as a reporter. She once helped find a missing child while basically doing a live shot on television. Uh, pretty fascinating story. Uh, our career paths did cross, which I, I wasn't really aware of until um, I started doing a little research on Anjanette. And maybe the thing I wanted to talk with her most about was the time that she appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman, which I remain extraordinarily jealous of. So Anjanette's going to talk about all that and so much more. I appreciate her time. I hope you enjoy our conversation on the Mo Egger podcast. One of the things that's really interesting to me, and I, I've said this, and I tried to find the tweet this morning and I could not find it. We, we were on the air one day and I took a photo of us in studio and I don't know what we were doing. And on the background... On our television was, without the sound on, because we're on the air, mm -hmm. you're doing a live shot outside a courthouse or something. And uh, one of your coworkers at the time, Jed Musi, tweets something like, oh, you're watching Ann Jeanette. Mm -hmm. And I wrote back and I said, if Ann Jeanette is covering a trial or something happening at City Hall, I pay attention. And so the reason I, I brought you in here, the reason I wanted to talk with you is uh, you have a, an ability 
and uh, I, I'm not trying to flatter you too much. As, as somebody who at times isn't paying the closest attention to what's happening in our courts mm -hmm. and in politics and now with some of the things you cover, I have found myself interested in the stories you cover and in particular the trials you cover because of how you do it. Uh, social media has a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what the Law and Crime Network was when you started working for it. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. Yeah, and, and then you're covering this Amber Heard thing. Mm -hmm. I had no idea who Amber Heard was. Uh, honestly, I didn't either. Yeah. I will tell you. Um, yeah, I had no clue. Like when she was, when I was assigned to cover this, first of all, it was a week before it started. I was, <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> Six-week trial. Um, hey, can, are you ready for Depp v. Heard? What are you talking about? You know, I had no clue. I, I knew kind of in the background that Johnny Depp had had some marriage and it didn't work out or something, a younger, but it wasn't on my radar. And yeah. I had heard like little snippets of these recordings, but this is not something that was front and center for me. I, I knew he'd been married to a younger woman and that, you know, there was something going on in the UK with a libel trial against a newspaper, but this is not uh, something that had my attention. So I'm like, who's Amber Heard? Yeah. I had no idea Johnny Depp was suing her. Uh, so I literally had to do a deep dive within a week. And I, I can tell you, like, the last time I saw a Johnny Depp movie before covering this trial was Donnie Brasco in yes. the, the theater in 1997. <laughs> My ex-boyfriend and I, <laughs> I remember it vividly, went to go see Donnie Brasco because I'm a huge Al Pacino fan. So I was like, oh, my God, I have never even seen I haven't seen a Johnny Depp movie. I don't even know what he's done. And yeah. I knew the, I knew about Pirates of the Caribbean, but I had never seen it. Right. So I think it's really funny because uh, I even encountered one of his friends the first week of the trial. <laughs> I just happened upon him in the courtroom, and we mm -hmm. got to chit-chatting. And he was like, I said, that whole Pirates of the Caribbean thing, that started in 2003, right? Isn't that what they just said? <laughs> you know, this is during, like, a break. He's like, you've never seen Pirates? And I said, no. And he looked at me like I had four heads. I was like, look, 2003, I was busy. I had just like graduated college. You know, I, I was my first TV job working overnights, writing news scripts for John and Cammy. Like Pirates of the Caribbean was not on my radar. Right. So I and because I showed up the first day and all these Depp fans had these like pirate flags and stuff and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like this is like insane. So I had to really kind of immerse myself in the world of um Johnny Depp. I had mm -hmm. to literally I literally every night read news stories, watched interviews with him on YouTube just because I felt like I was so behind in covering this. And then, you know, you know, leading up to it and the first week or the trial, I feel like I did such a deep dive that I was more kind of in tune with what was going on. So I kind of was thrown into this, not really knowing anything about this. My Johnny Depp reference would be more dated because it was uh, 21 Jump Street. Right. And my, <laughs> yes, Mo, Mo, yes. My mom, and I said this on the air, my mom really liked 21 Jump Street. Uh -huh. So you and I were kids when that was on. Yes. And, and I remember it being on and my mom liking it. Um, and she, I mean, I'm not going to lie. She thought Johnny Depp was good looking. And she right. she was like, oh, yeah, he's from Kentucky. I remember. Yeah, oh, okay. Kentucky, sure. Uh, you know, close to us. So, yeah, that was like my references for him, as yeah. you said. And Donnie Brasco. So, so this trial unfolds. It mm -hmm. takes forever. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know who Amber Heard was. Right. I, so I clearly didn't know Johnny Depp was married to her. I didn't know that there was 
uh, allegations of, of physical abuse or anything like right. that. I, I didn't know that. And then you start covering it, and, and I, I start paying attention, and I follow it, and mm-hmm. I, I watch long crime. And, and I'm, I'm certainly not as immersed in it as some of the people that you've uh, interacted with on social media. Mm-hmm. But aside from just the celebrity part, why do you think this particular trial grabbed people the way it did? Well, I think there are several reasons, and I don't think it was just the celebrity. Um, <clears throat> when I was, excuse me, when I was first assigned to cover this, I was like, you want me to do what? You want me to, what? Johnny Depp and this ex-wife? Like, I, I was kind of like, whatever. And then I got there and I started listening, you, you know, you cover something, you listen to the details. And what I think is interesting is that, <clears throat> excuse me, you had somebody who um, had this career that was amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, he was a huge movie star, wildly successful, apparently had made hundreds of millions of dollars making movies. Um, he had drug addiction problems, you know, issues with addiction, alcohol. I think people, I think that resonates with people. Also, we were told for how many years that Johnny Depp uh, was an abuser that he, you know, was a terrible person. He lost his career essentially because of this. Amber Heard says it was because of his own actions and his addiction issues. But there were all these things that you were learning about that maybe you didn't know before um, unless you followed the UK trial, which was not televised. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was televised. So we're hearing all of this. You're hearing the, re- the audio recordings. Uh, these audio recordings, like some of which, frankly, I'm not going to lie to you, some days brought tears to my eyes listening to them because of the, the vitriol and the meanness. And, um, you know, you're listening to, like, somebody, Johnny Depp, saying to this woman, I don't want to be with you anymore, you know, like, in this desperation on her part. So I, I you know, all these news stories I read leading up to the trial, once I got into it and started covering it, I'm hearing stuff that contradicts what I had read. And I think that's part of it. I think people can relate to the addiction stuff. I think people can relate to being victims possibly of domestic abuse, whether it's Mm -hmm. physical, emotional, or uh, verbal, mental. So I think there were all these things uh, that really resonated with people beyond the celebrity aspect of it. Of course, the celebrity was part of it. And maybe that was more intense for some people maybe that drew more people to it but I think they're just what was going on in that courtroom and in that relationship um, really uh, you know drew people in Um, I frankly know that I've known victims of male victims of domestic abuse and some of the things he said during his testimony really uh, rang true Mm -hmm. to me based on what I had heard from other male victims of domestic abuse, which some people don't feel. I, I literally had Amber Heard supporters there at the courthouse tell me they didn't believe they didn't believe that that a man could be mm. um, a victim of domestic abuse because the man is more powerful inherently right. Right. and he has more money and et cetera. It's and I don't I don't necessarily believe that's true. I think they both treated each other terribly, but everything I heard was that you know a lot of, of what I heard was her doing things to him. The trial has been over as we sit here for a couple of weeks. 
yeah, three or four weeks. A little more than a month. And, and it feels like there continues <laughs> to be ripple effects, and, and there is a an army of people that seem to object to, <laughs> I don't know if it's your reporting, I don't yes. know what it is, but what is what is that all about? Okay, so throughout the trial, there were people who were saying, um, I think there were people that felt like, because I am a woman, that I should automatically be endorsing things that Amber Heard did Mm -hmm. during this relationship. And, excuse me, I watched her testimony. I am a woman. Um, I've been in many relationships over my life, and I know how I've been treated and how I've treated my respective partners. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that I heard from her, I, I thought were beyond the pale and um they i think that i think that these people believe that i should have come out and and done a full throttled you know i I don't know how else to word it but like not throttled really but a full like an endorsement of her Mm -hmm. because i am a woman and they took particular issue with the fact that i thought it was offensive that she videotaped him slamming cabinets around in his kitchen and that she hid the camera. And I I said on air many times that I thought that that was devious and sneaky. And I thought that she was trying to hide the camera and they felt that was him abusing her. And I saw nothing like that. He discovered the camera and kind of tossed it away, but he didn't touch her. But they saw that as abuse. And I'm not saying that can't be abuse. That could be abusive, an intimidation tactic. Yeah. But me putting myself in a position of having been in relationships and seeing somebody basically having a really bad day and flipping out, I would have kind of like asked, is there anything I can do to make this better? If not, I'm going to just remove myself from this situation and um, you cool down and we will talk later. Um, That is to me (laughs) what should have happened. Mm -hmm. And I've never videotaped any of my partners Right. Um, or audio recorded them without their permission or otherwise, even without <laughs> their permission. And, and they were doing well, that. Have a whole series of, of questions beyond that. But right. Yes. Yeah. But they were doing that in part because the marriage counselor said to them, you should do this to listen to the way you talk to each other. And he had testified he was doing it and letting her know because she would deny the way she spoke to him. And so I think they're very angry first that the verdict um, – was what it was. Um, He ran the table and he won. Um, They felt that I spoke ill of, I was just honest in my analysis of what I saw in the courtroom, um, of what she was doing in the relationship. And yeah, he said horrible things to her, Um, horrible. But in some of the things she was describing with the physical abuse, I mean, she was describing him grabbing her by the hair and, and basically ramming her head into a headboard. And there was like a little like discoloration under her eye. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't jibe with what I've seen covering cases over the years of domestic violence, um, some of which ended in homicide. So I think that they believed as a woman I should have just been out there, um, you know, saying believe all women – um, endorsing me to 125%. I think there are really good aspects of that movement, but I think in some ways 
I don't think you can say believe all women and believe all men all the time. I think you have to take each allegation on its own and it should be treated seriously. So I think there are good things about that movement, but I, I think that these people just believe that, um, I've been called all kinds of things to be honest with you, um, <laughs> uh, ranging from vulgar terms to a pick me girl, that was the latest one, a grifter, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things I've been called. Um, and it is it is what it is. I've invited these people to come on my po- the podcast, um, my podcast, and that I share with my co-host, Jesse Weber. And they don't want to speak with me, and that's their prerogative. So uh, it's probably a long-winded answer, Mo, but um, I just went into that courtroom, and I reported what I heard and what I saw. When you started covering it, could, could you ever have imagined that it was going to take – I mean, there were some very serious things in play here, but could you have ever imagined it was going to take the twists and turns that it that it did? I mean, I, I when it started, I, I again, not knowing a lot about it, I thought this is cut and dry. I think it'll take a couple of weeks. It lasted a month and a half, and mm-hmm. and it just it it felt like this courtroom soap opera that it sucked me in, and not knowing a lot about either party, could you have imagined that it was going to be the, I guess, courtroom drama that it turned out to be? Um, yeah, I think it blew up bigger than any of us anticipated. And there was a lot of stuff I think that people were talking about um, with this whole social media aspect of it, TikTok. I think that that um, amplified it a little bit, um, got people more interested. And just the fact that there was a camera in the courtroom, which I actually, you know, people say, you only care about cameras in the courtroom so you can make money. And uh, I mean, Okay, let's get one thing straight. I, I, this is my job, right? I've been doing this for, uh, it'll be 20 years this summer mm-hmm. that I will have been in news or whatever, right. not counting my internship before that at 700 WLW. Yeah. Um, so, Which I wasn't aware of until this morning. Really? So we're going to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I don't, like, get a cut of people watching my network's YouTube channel. (laughs) I mean, God, I wish I did. Um, But this is what I do. I have covered televised trials for a really long time, as you know, Mo. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a big advocate of cameras in the courtroom, not because that's how I make money, but because, and I know there people say there are a lot of drawbacks, but we are giving people an unfiltered view. You're Mm -hmm. not seeing it through my filter or the filter of the five o'clock news or whatever. And now there's like 1,800 news right. shows yeah. every day, which is insane, but whatever. Um, you get to see it and see the process unfold, and you can agree with it or not. So, um, yeah, the social media stuff, I thought there was some crazy stuff on social media, like totally ridiculous. Um, but I can't control that. Yeah, and no question. Speaking of, and it's a, a recent trial, and it's it's a figure that you've covered, and maybe a trial that you've covered, the P.G. Sittenfeld thing. Right. Right. And so I followed that closely. And I, again, I knew who P.G. Sittenfeld was. Mm-hmm. I have my thoughts on how that unfolded in the verdict and everything. But, you know, here's this trial that is supposed to peel back layers of how City Hall operates. Right. But it didn't for those of us who were following it through the lens of people who were in the courtroom right. because we couldn't see it live. Right. What were your thoughts on how that that whole thing unfolded? So it's hard for me because I... I, there's so much I know about that and knew and was hearing. You know, I was hearing before he was charged, I had heard for at least a year before that 
that he was calling up people who had projects at City Hall and asking for donations. Mm -hmm. So you heard that through the grapevine. Um, you know, you heard rumblings about it. And so I kind of had my antenna up with that whole thing for a long time. Right. Um, and you, we were hearing stuff about other people too at City Hall. Um, so federal court, they don't allow cameras. I wish mm -hmm. they did. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know why they don't. Maybe they're just behind the times. I'm hoping that changes at some point. So, um, you know, I I read the news stories and, um, yeah, I, I guess just as somebody who covers courts and trials, I like reading what people are reporting, but I always want to see it for myself because I feel like there are sometimes you you get a take or somebody writes a story and you read it, but you're not you're not getting the whole picture. Yeah. Especially when you see it on TV sometimes. Yeah. I feel like it's like really disheartening because I learned that covering um, a case up in Wisconsin, you know, the big case I covered up there. Right. I felt like I did the best I could putting on the story I was at, told to report every night or like do this testimony or, you know, do a package on this testimony. But you miss so much when you're just doing like a minute and 20 second story or even two minute story that you just can't fit it all in. I feel right. like you miss some of the nuance and stuff. Yeah, I felt, I mean, to me, even the drama of the the guilty verdict, right? I mean, you know, that or the, the two guilty verdicts and the, the handful of not guilty. And mm -hmm. that, I it, just as a, I don't want to say impartial observer, but there's there's a huge human element to that. Right. And to get that through second, you know, secondhand sources or, or other people was, uh, it was frustrating as somebody who became interested in that uh, yeah. story as well. You mentioned the, the, I'm sure you've done a thousand podcasts on Stephen Avery, right? Could you ever have imagined when you were covering that case that it would become, and obviously you didn't know it was going to be a, a Netflix documentary. Uh, and I will admit my, my, uh, at the time, girlfriend and I, wife now, watched that, and I was two episodes in, and I, I wasn't that interested. <laughs> Just, and, and then, yeah. and then uh, everybody watched it, and then I kind of, all right, I, I guess I should pay attention to this. Could you ever have imagined that that's, that's, that trial, that thing, would still have people talking a decade and a half or so later? So, yes and no. I knew at the time that there was this... We, I, I knew them, you know, they were there with us. These mm -hmm. two young, and I weren't really that young, but like, I mean, we were all young then, I guess. Um, they were a little older than me, but I knew they were there. They drove this beat up Subaru station wagon. They had these smaller cameras that they, they were filming, these two women filming everything themselves. And one of them had a sister, I think, that was with them at times. Um, so we knew they were doing a documentary. Mm -hmm. had no clue at the time it was going to be on yeah. <laughs> Netflix right. yeah. uh, so many years later. And so um, I, at the time, couldn't believe there wasn't more national interest in the story because it, it was so insane. that part of the country? I mean, was this all anybody talked about in, in Wisconsin? Did this just grip the area at the there, time? Yeah, there was a lot of coverage. It was a small – so we were in Green Bay. That's yeah. the market. Market 69 out of 212 markets. So that gives you an idea of the, the size. Um, smaller than the Cincinnati market, of course. 
uh, so, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Mel. There just wasn't that much going on. <laughs> you know, I it was my first reporting yeah. job. Uh, it's like you had the Packers, deer hunting, ice fishing. I mean, I was being sent out to do stories on stuff uh, where I was just like, I had promised the news director. He said, look, I don't pay reporters enough to sign contracts. I just ask that you stay a year. Oh, okay. And I was so excited when I went up there. I was like, I'm going to rock this. I'm going to yeah. like, yeah, it's my first reporting job. Yeah. All enthusiastic. I got up there and I'm telling you, it was tough. It was not easy. There's not a whole lot going on. Um, so I was nearing that year being like, I just wanted to get the hell out of there because <laughs> I was like, it's cold. Oh. Um I don't fit in up here. I feel like an outs. I was treated kind of like an outsider in some respects. Right. I did make a lot of good friends up there, so it just took some time. Mm-hmm. But um, I was very kind of a not in my element there. And then this happened, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I think we were all like, "Oh my god!" Something yeah. interesting is happening. <laughs> not to not to dismiss sure. the suffering of Teresa Hallbuck's family in that loss, but it was interesting. So I think we all just kind of were like, any little thing we could get on it, we would report. So it was a big deal when mm-hmm. it happened. Um, and then the nephew getting arrested, Brendan Dassey, which is a whole other can of worms, um, that added to the intrigue, I think. So, and then you had this whole like claim of planting evidence and right. all of this stuff. So I think there, there was just always something weird and crazy going on. There was never that like lull in between the arrest and the trial where you, <laughs> where it was like quiet. There was just always some craziness happening. Does the Pike County thing, yes. the Pike County massacre, yes. does that compare? Because again, yeah, I think so. an example ways. of something that just was this soap opera, and you covered this very closely, mm-hmm. uh, where, uh, you know, initially there's a horrific event. Mm-hmm. This is awful. And then you, you start to learn about some of the dynamics in play here. And there's this family and there's interplay between the families and there's mm-hmm. cockfighting. And then <laughs> people are moving to Alaska. I mean, this was yes. uh, a, a mystery writer couldn't couldn't make this up. Would would that and, and that thing is still unfolding, if, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So Jake uh, and his mother, Angela, have both pleaded guilty. Uh, Angela is eligible for release after serving 30 years. Jake has he's done he's in prison for the rest of his life right um so George the older brother of Jake and son of Angela and Billy um his trial starts August 29th opening statements the jury selection starts August 8th so yeah it's still unfolding just for the record the cockfighting chickens or roosters whatever whatever kind of birds cockfight um I guess it's boy roosters right yeah, you're talking about something okay I have. so no. like i'm not really <laughs> I, I okay cockfighting so that that's a rooster right so not sure. a, not a girl chicken i have no idea or a hen or yeah. whatever um so i should know more about this right uh that had nothing to do with this this was all apparently over child custody according to jake and angela they've pleaded guilty and admitted to that so um it's horrifying it's still unfolding nobody could have made this up and, um, yes, to be covering that really closely. You're, um, and I'll tell a brief story oh. here. You're, a lot of people um, leave local television mm-hmm. news, right? Yeah. I have, I grew up and I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Yeah, my me too. Me too. Oh, very good. Like tons. Yes, tons. <laughs> she was uh, like my second mom, really. Uh, yeah, it, very, I, yes. Um, 
I think of her and I think of her obsession with local television. Yeah. She watched growing up, and we're roughly the same age, mm-hmm. 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and then it had to be Peter Jennings at 6.30. Yes, my mom was like that, too. Had to be, not Dan Rather. No, not Peter Tom Jennings. Brokaw. It had to be. And, you know, as a kid, she she would form these very strong opinions of people on local television. So yes. there used to be a sports guy on Channel 12, Steve Esposito. She didn't like him. Mm. Uh, she didn't like Norma Rashid. But, boy, she liked Clyde Gray. And she yeah. adored Rob Braun. And so... Um, and then as television news expanded, her viewership of it would. And, you know, she would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and so uh, as I grew up and got older and I, I got into radio, occasionally something would happen where a reporter would leave or an anchor would leave or something would happen. And she would always call me and say, uh, do, do you know what happened to the guy at Channel 5? And I would, well, okay, you have to give me some more details. Mm-hmm. And so we would always have these conversations. And she had strong opinions. So she passes away. Late in 2020, uh, 92 years old. I'm so sorry. That's no. okay. Uh, 92 years old. She she uh, breaks her ankle, mm-hmm. and when she goes in the hospital, they sort of come to the conclusion she her heart is is kind of giving out, mm. and so she has to go into the hospital, and COVID is spiking, so I can't go see her. Oh, God. And so I call her up one day. I call her every single day. I call her up one day, and she's been given the news that the outcome is not what we want, and uh, I I figure you know now it's time to sort of hit my grandmother with, you know, hey, I I can't thank you enough for everything you did for me growing up. Uh, I love you. I'll do anything for you. You've been awesome. You've lived a great life. And uh, there's this pause. And she says to me, what happened to Annette on Channel 12? <laughs> oh, my God. That is not true. <laughs> yeah. Annette, Annette, first of all, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, we have a big laugh about this. And so, uh, but when you left, it was a big deal. People, I mean, people leave, but I, I got the sense in the journalism community, this was different than an anchor having enough of management or pivoting to do something else or going out and raising cattle or something. This, this felt like a monumental, um, departure to the extent that one of my last conversations with my grandmother, she mentioned, and she liked watching Saturday mornings on channel. Oh, she that's liked so that. sweet. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, this is literally one of the last conversations we had. So you end up working for law and crime. This was a big deal. Uh, was the plan to go cover these national cases? Was that what, what you were going to do? What happened? So interestingly enough, it's really funny you bring this up because you're, you are not the first person to say this was a monumental shift when I left local news. Well, the thing is, people leave and everybody in the TV community sends nice tweets yeah. about people oh they were great best of luck with you it was like profound loss for the journalism community <laughs> right which had to make you feel good uh it did make me feel good and it i i i was surprised by the outpouring it, because it was I, I knew there would be people who were would be sad or upset that i left yeah. and i'm not going to name the people who i worked with who were very upset um but there were people I worked with who were incredibly upset that I left um, and tried to convince me to stay and to come back, which I really appreciate. Um, but yeah, it was the outpouring was tremendous, not only from people in that journalism community, but also uh, from my sources, my contacts, the viewers. Um, I think for weeks afterwards, I got the messages, the text messages, it didn't stop after I left. Yeah. So I had no plan 
when I left. Right. I literally had no plan. And I didn't leave because I didn't like news. Right. Um, they had every opportunity to keep me, but they made me an offer I could refuse. So mm. I'd worked there for 10 years, and I think you have to know your worth, and I know my worth. Mm. And I'm not trying to be arrogant in saying that, but I'm a really hard worker, Mo. I'm yeah. really obsessive about the stories I cover and getting all the details. And um, I knew that I had a following and that um, people enjoyed watching me. And so, so I didn't, I knew there would be people who were sad that I left. Mm -hmm. Did I know it, the outpouring was going to be what it was? No. So it was very uh, humbling and flattering. Um, but I also, you know, have to respect myself and think about what's best for me and my family and my career when somebody comes to me with a 11th hour contract offer and um, knows what my career goals are and doesn't seem to really factor that into the discussion. Yeah. Uh, how does the long crime thing come about? Now, I will admit, I, 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 it may have started the day you began. I, I had never heard of it. I didn't know I got it on my cable. I, had no, I didn't know what it was. Uh, but it's Dan Abrams, which is a big deal. Right. And so it's his company. And so it's funny. The, my last day at Channel 12, um, I was walking. The news director had asked me to come into his office. And really, it was like my last day. But it, it really just entailed me showing up and giving them my laptop and saying, you know, like, here you go. Thanks. See you later. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, however that's supposed did to happen. They, did they, did they I, escort you out the way they do for us in radio? That did not happen. No. Oh, um, that did not happen. Um, so, I mean, I there would be no reason to escort me out. I'm not going to, like, burn the place <laughs> down on the way. <laughs> I'm not an arsonist. I'm not a... Uh, I've always said when, when the time comes, and it comes for all of us, yeah. I'm not doing that. Just don't... <laughs> just tell me to leave. I'll do it without incident. I'm not getting escorted out. Yeah, right. And yeah. there was no need to do that. I just went in. Um, I let everybody in the newsroom know. Because I, I, they didn't announce that I was leaving to the newsroom until, like, I don't know, like 10 days before I left or right. something, which yeah. was really bizarre. Um, so people were shocked. I mean, hmm. shocked when the email went out. They were texting me, and they were like, I, you're leaving? What? I mean, apparently they couldn't believe it. I think my grandmother called and the newsroom. <laughs> Your grandmother. So, um, grandma, I like Grandma Egger. She's very sweet. Good God. Um, but yeah, so I just said something. I remember I walked in. I was, you know, I walked in with my laptop bag or whatever. And I looked around the newsroom to these, and these people that I'd worked with for 10 years, many of them. Um, you know, they were like, you know, we're going to miss you. And I just made this kind of, you know, it's COVID. So there's yeah, really not sure. that many people in right. there. And I just said, this has nothing to do. I want you to all to know this has nothing to do with any of you. Um, I've really enjoyed working with you. Um, this is, has nothing to do with people I've, you know, come to consider, you know, very good coworkers and friends. Uh, so I want you to know that. And so, and keep in mind, Mo, I wasn't the first one to leave. No, there was kind of an exodus. and There was an exodus. Yeah. Uh, so, um, 
and there were, I, I'm not going to go into details, sure. uh, but I had the support of those people um, that went before me. And so I just wanted to make it clear it had nothing to do with my, my colleagues. Mm-hmm. And many of these people I had known for uh, more than a decade because mm-hmm. – I started my career there right. <laughs> in yeah. news. I, that was my first job out of college. Then I went left. I never thought I would come back to Cincinnati because working in news, you're going to go to all these different markets. Right. But that's not the path I, my journey took. Um, so anyway, I'm walking into the news director's office because I had been summoned. Um, and... I get this message, this message pops up on my phone and I have no plan at all other than, you know, some people had reached out and voiced interest and said, we'd like to talk to you, some companies. And um, this is from my friend Aaron and he, who worked at Law and Crime and he said, I have a part-time job for you Monday if you want it. Wow. And I was like, wow. oh. Oh, hey, pretty good. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is, but we'll see. So I like walk into the news director's office. He says what he says. And the whole time I'm sitting there listening, I'm just like, well, I've got other people interested. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. See ya. Like, I mean, I didn't, I had options. Mm-hmm. So, and I knew I had options even before I told them I was gone. That was not resigning. So um, that to me was like a, a, a clue. So I so I said, talked to my friend Aaron, who we had worked together in Green Bay. Um, the president of the company worked with us too in Green Bay, but they were at compete a different station than I was. And so I just started helping him with this new show they were developing. And then they asked me to come on full time. And I was like, well, why don't I give this a try? Why, yeah. don't, why not? Why wouldn't I just give it a try? Because I, when I was younger, that was always like, when I was like, you know, working at Core TV would be like a dream job. Yeah. I always thought that. Or working at, you know, one of the national networks, you know. But now I don't know if I feel that way. I think, about the I think Law Crime is a better version of Core TV, right? You have I mean, to say depends, that. I get it. It depends yeah. on who, I, who who you ask. I'm right? sure. You know, everything's subjective. But I thought we did a. You know, I thought we've. I thought we did a really good job with the depth trial. You know, I thought we. It was a long haul. Um, so we were able to give people an unfiltered view of what was going on and our take on it, our commentary. Like I was allowed to say on the air, "This is how I view this," or "This is what I'm seeing," and that's all through the lens of my life experiences and covering other cases throughout the years. And keep in mind, I mean, I know about defamation. Mm-hmm. I am a reporter. Right. We have to be careful of what we say and what we do and what we tweet, mm-hmm. you know, and tw- a tweet was a big part of this case, like right. her tweet, you know, not only writing the op-ed, but then retweeting it. So I kind of had all that background going into this. So I, I thought we did a really good job. We took questions every day from during the lunch break from viewers around the world. It was amazing to me. It was really cool that, you know, we had people writing in from the Netherlands and Germany and France. And <laughs> I'm trying to think of the most far-flung place that wrote in, like the people that um, asking questions. So I just thought it was really cool. So I thought I'll give it a shot and see what this is like. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so, and I thought it was really cool that 
they were willing to allow me, and I'm sure it's because of COVID, to work, you know, remotely. Yeah. So I covered that. I covered the Chauvin trial, you know, horrible George mm-hmm. Floyd thing. Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've got I've had some really cool experiences there. What was your your coolest what was the thing you enjoyed covering the most when you were at Local 12? Was there a, was there a story? Was there a, a trial? Was there something that, that stands out? And you go, boy, that professionally and personally, that was fulfilling. Um, the, you know, the trials always grab my attention. Um, I'm trying to, th- wow, that's just like, I should know that, know an answer to that. Um, I don't know. You had a, oh. you had a situation yes. once where you found yes, uh, a child. Yes, Agnes, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there was okay. an Amber Alert. Yes, yeah. yes. I, th- it's yeah. funny. We both thought of that at the same yeah. moment. So that's like one of those things that never happens, right? Mm-hmm. You get assigned <laughs> to a story about an Amber Alert, a missing child. And, um, you know, she was taken by her half-brother. So I don't think they thought she was in imminent danger. But they were concerned because he was an addict and had taken mom's car with the child in it. And God only knows what would happen. Um, but, yeah, I found this kit. Yeah, I found the missing little girl. And I just, I always used to joke though, like that was like, that was such a crazy, weird thing that happened that everything since then has just been all downhill since, since then. You're, <laughs> because, I mean, that was pretty rewarding. Yeah. Oh, I, I would think like, so. I, like, it was insane though. It made no sense that, like, I knocked on a door and there's like a child screaming and I find this missing child. This is probably a really stupid question. But is there anybody who says, look, you've now become the story instead of telling the oh, story? Oh, yeah. There right? were people. You get that, right? Oh, good God. There were people on Facebook, I guess, who said, I don't believe this. I mean, we played the video, raw, yeah. like the raw video, so people could see exactly how it unfolded. Right. You're there. And- you go in. There's a dog barking. I, it's been, I've seen it. It's yeah. been uh, many, many years. A guy's like running across the street, the kid's dad. Yeah, and, and it was mom, mom uh, okay. running down this because I called her. Yeah, like I literally, like I was, my hands were shaking once I realized it was the little girl through the window, and I called because I had just been to their house up the street and was like, "Well, can I have your number just in case, like we need to get in touch with you?" Or and so literally, I'm like shaking and like pushing mom's phone number, and I'm like, "I know you don't, you know, because they didn't want to talk to us." Right. I'm like, "I know you don't want to talk to me, but I think I found your daughter." <laughs> Yeah. You know, and then I after I called her first and then I ran to the car because the photographer, we were both grouchy. We didn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> you know, like, we had already shot. We had literally already shot another story mm-hmm. and had it all wrapped up. And then they sent us there and we had gotten some ice cream. And, um, you know, so we were both like, Ugh, you know, like in a bad mood. So when I went up to knock on the door, he's like, I'll just stay here. Come get me if you need me, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And so literally I'm like wearing these like – I remember this because I was like running through the yard with these like wedge heels on mm-hmm. <laughs> and like almost fall, tripping over tree roots. And I was like went up to the car and I was like banging on the window. I'm like, get out, get the camera. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, the baby's inside. <laughs> but people and, but they criticized thought, you. They either thought it was fake or I staged it or yeah. it wasn't. There was something not real about it. There's something fishy about this. Oh, she's beca- – I mean, I'm like, okay, for God's sakes, yes, maybe I became part of the story, but it wasn't intentional. All wow. Everything I did was like a human – it was just a reaction. Call the mom. Get the camera. Cover yeah. the story. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm insane. You covered the story and the kid – was 
Resting. Yeah, she was fine. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, and thank God she was okay. Uh, what made you decide to want to get in television? Pete, okay, so Peter Jennings. Okay, remember you just brought up Peter. Uh-huh. Let's come back to Peter Jennings. Every day at six thirty, there's Grandma <laughs> with the TV dinner in front of her. Peter Jennings is on, and uh. so for my mom, it was Peter Jennings. Yeah. and um, I tell this story sometimes, not a lot, that I remember clearly when President Reagan was shot, and I remember it them breaking into the to TV, you know the. TV cover or mm-hmm. you know whatever I regular know. programming, so, right, normal regu- programming. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, you <laughs> see, I, it, you knew back in that time period, even in the last fifteen years, yeah. like pre nine eleven. You'd After be watching nine, a game show, the graphic yes, would come on, and something the, bad you're had just like, happened. Oh crap! Yeah. Something like the world is on fire because right. the special report music comes on or whatever, and Peter Jennings is sitting there without his, without his. Sport Got coat on, so yeah. yes, and you're like, oh crap, something it's hit the fan, you know. So I remember that very vividly and watching um, President Reagan get shot on television and mm-hmm. them replaying the video with James Brady and the whole, you know, his press secretary who was shot as well. And I just remember thinking to myself, like always being interested in that. And I think that my mom was always a big news person, watched the news all the time. And then my grandmother did, too. So I think I was just brought up, like, you watch the news. Mm-hmm. Like, every day after Mr. Rogers, we changed the channel so mom could watch Nick Clooney because that's who she liked. And so um, I grew up watching these people and thought it would be really interesting to go out and and find out what's going on. So yeah. I think that kind of sparked it. Then when OJ happened, I was kind of grossed. Sure. I was super grossed out by, like, the circus that became and I was yeah. kind of horrified by it. So then I was like, no, I'm not going to do TV. I want to do print. Like I'll work in print. Mm-hmm. Well, then I got out of college and couldn't find a job in print. So because <laughs> everything was dying. And so, and I always thought it would be like amazing if I could work at Rolling Stone, but also not only write, but photograph. Like, yeah. so I took still photography classes in high school um, because I love taking pictures and things like that. So I always wanted to be a photo journalist per se, not where you just took the photos, but you could take the pictures and then write. Well, you know, that didn't pan out. So I got a job in TV. I was, I watched every minute of the OJ trial. Now for me, it's. <laughs> I watched a lot of it. Sports. Not you know all I mean? of it, but a lot. Yeah. Uh, it was OJ, on TV every day. Every single day. OJ was acquitted on my birthday in 1995. Oh, wow. uh, and so, uh, yeah. And I remember the Bronco chase because it occurred during yes. the NBA Finals. and uh, But the, the trial itself might be the only thing that I've watched gavel to gavel for the better part of a year. That's interesting you say that. I remember I was in high school and I was working at La Rosa's. And, you know, I remember very vividly the day that O.J., you know, when he was in the cuffs in his mm-hmm. yard. Yeah. You know, and everybody's like, ooh, they're going to arrest him. But then they had him in the cuffs in the yard, and then they took him off. And I think they took him downtown to talk to him in yeah. the interview room. And I remember working at La Rosa's. It was summertime, and somebody came in, a customer, to pick up their order. And they said, O.J. Simpson just killed himself. And we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? O.J. killed himself? Oh, my God, he did it. And so, so then they were like, People were like, no, that's not true. And obviously this was the day in the days before cell phones. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So we had a TV in the um, restaurant. 
So we turned on the TV, and there's the Bronco. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, my God, what is going on? And then you know what happened from there. Game five of the NBA Finals. Yes, Okay. break in. I am a diehard New York Knicks fan. I had been waiting my entire life for the Knicks in the NBA Finals. Yeah. And then as game five is happening, here's Bob Costas throwing to Tom Brokaw. And I might have been the only person in America who did not care about OJ, who did not care about the Bronco. Obviously, something awful had happened. I cared about that. But there's right, a basketball game, and this is getting in the way. But then after that... Uh, I I became hooked. Um, I I have a few more minutes with you. There's uh, there's two things I want to ask about. One, um, I'm very jealous of you for this reason. <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, I worship growing up David Letterman. Oh yeah. So the day of his last show, or maybe the night before his last show, I'm uh, I'm watching uh, Local 12, and hey, Dave's last show is going to air. And and honestly, didn't really watch a lot the last five or six years because I kind of felt like he was phoning it in. But nonetheless, they go, oh, our own Anjanette Levy was on the Late Show, right? And I perked up and I go, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's she? And uh, they show the segment, and then yeah. they say, so, like, well, if you want to find the rest, go to YouTube. Right. And so I'm like, well, yeah, okay, i got to find out about this. And so I knew about that, and then in, in preparation for, for talking with you, I, I watched it again. <laughs> it's, on, it's on YouTube. There right. it is. I think it's yeah. on the Local 12 thing. Right. So I've been lucky enough to go to three tapings. I've seen So, like, I think that's kind of a big deal. I think but, I've been to two or three, too. But I yeah. haven't been on the show. Right. So you played a little game. You had to guess a celebrity voice or celebrity something. Celebrity x-ray challenge. You have to tell me how this – I'm sure you've told this story a thousand times. But as somebody who saw that and was so uh, painfully jealous, you have to tell me <laughs> – David Letterman was at a Reds game a number of years ago. Right, I remember and Jim that. Jim Day interviewed him, and I texted him, and I said, retire now. It's over. You'll <laughs> it's never over. do anything yes. cooler. <laughs> I, like, And he's like – he wrote me, he's like, uh, oh it's God. the only time I've ever talked to anybody and was visibly shaking. And I said, I would be too. Uh, you have to tell me how this came about. So uh, I want to interview David Letterman, too. Mm -hmm. He's very uh, – he rarely grants interviews. Sure. So yeah. I would just, like, die if I got right. to interview David Letterman. So uh, I told you that my dream job was to work at Rolling Stone when I was younger. Yeah. So – And I, you mentioned that in the thing. Uh, yes. Yes. So yeah. – I did pay attention. <laughs> I, I got out of college, and, you know, it was hard to find a job because it was um, – it was around 9-11 or, you know, it was just sure. hard, yeah. you know. So um, it was after 9-11, right after 9-11 or so. Because I, I had taken – I didn't do four years straight when I got out of high school. So it was a little later graduating. And I I was like, you know, I, I can't – I can't afford to go to the middle of Montana to some small market and make $12,000 a year <laughs> to work in news. I, I can't do it, nor do I want to do that. Right. And I know that's some the path some people take, but I just knew, A, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Like I would be living in a cardboard box eating ramen noodles if I had to do that because, <laughs> like, my mom wasn't going to, you know, fund my, you know, existence. Um, so... Uh, and my dad had passed away, like, when I was in college. So I, uh, you know, and I was like, I, I, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have no desire to do that. And so I kind of was, I had sent out lots of resumes online. 
um, for you know, positions, even if it was like a really low paying job in New York, I'm like, I could go work at a magazine, I could do something smaller and work my way up. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to just fly to New York, I'm going to spend a week up there and see if I can meet with people. I literally walked into the offices of Rolling Stone. Really? (laughs) Yes, I did. And I walked up to the receptionist and I said, hi, I, I would like to speak with whomever. Is there somebody I can speak with here who does the hiring, um, it, you know, or somebody, you know, it's very naive, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But you never know what could happen. Sure. So, you know, maybe I run into Jan Wenner in the lobby <laughs> and he's like, oh, who are you? Uh, like, let's have, let's, let's talk. And so I walked in and the woman's like, well, if you just want to leave your resume here, I, you know, we'll take care, you know, we'll pass it along. And I was like, oh, God, it's going right in the trash. So I gave her my resume. (laughs) Never heard from Rolling Stone, needless (laughs) to say. Um, But I was like, you know what, I'm going to try. I mean, what else do you do, right? Right. And because I was having trouble finding a job, I thought, oh, maybe I should go to, like, this NYU summer program. There was, like, this NYU summer program. So, and you could live in the dorm or something and go to these classes and I thought oh if I have NYU on my resume maybe I can spend the summer here and um, do some internships or something or you know I was just looking for any way to get my foot in the door with a magazine and so I went in so I wanted to get tickets to the late show they were in high demand at that time and Mm -hmm. I could never get them you would send in a postcard or something to try to get the you know, get them to call you to say you can get a ticket. So, and if you did, the show was like the next week. You had to make plans to go. Right. Yeah. So I went to the standby line or whatever mm-hmm. to try to get in. It was raining. I had a headache. But I was like, I really want to try to get in. So I'm there on 53rd Street. You know, I, I didn't get in. But they had the whole street shut down for the Purina dog show challenge or something. It was like an obstacle course. <laughs> So a bunch of us that didn't get into the show were just hanging out there watching. We're like, oh, we'll just hang out and watch this. Why not? And it was dreary and rainy. I think it was April. And so (laughs) we're just standing there, and I'm standing next to this couple from somewhere. I don't know where they were from. I can't remember. And this guy comes up behind me, and he's like, in this like thick New York accent, you know, like, ma'am, uh, would you mind stepping into the deli? And I was like, oh, oh, God. Oh, God. No. The answer <laughs> was, is no. The answer should always like, be no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Rupert's Hello Deli, right. right? Yeah. So I step in there and he's like, so uh, we got this uh, game we're going to play and we're supposed to find somebody from the crowd. And we were wondering, you know, if you might... And, might come on the show and play a game with Dave. And I was like, well, I, and I know this is a really bad New York accent. I can usually do a better one. <laughs> but they, um, the guy said, I said to the guy, well, I watch this show. So mm-hmm. I said, I'm willing to do it. But I said, just promise me he won't make me look stupid. <laughs> I said, I watch this show regularly. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, sure. yeah. No, no, he'll be nice. I promise. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Well, in the meantime, you know, I'm not, not a stitch of makeup on. Uh, hair is kind of, it's raining, so my hair is pulled back. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be on TV, and I don't have any makeup on. Uh, my hair is a hot mess, all wavy and pulled back and a half ponytail and, um, like, whatever. So we start playing this game, and these crew members, you know, Rupert was there. Sure. I met Rupert. We all were chatting for, like, the whole time. And Dr. Lua Ro- Roney, is that his name, Lua Roney, the doctor? 
his doctor at mm-hmm. the time, Dr. Yeah. Lou Aroni, I think is his name. Um, so, yeah, that's how it happened. That's <laughs> it was awesome. Just like happenstance. That's one of the coolest things uh, that anybody that I know could tell me about. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was wild. And then I was like, oh, maybe this was like meant to be. I should try to get a job with the Late Show. And then I sent my resume to them. Never heard it. Not not so, so much. Yeah. No. Well, and then yeah. stuff came out later, and I'm like, well, what, maybe what I was Dave probably, was doing with the staffers. I was like, yeah. oh, maybe it's good I didn't get that probably job. For the best. Could you imagine if I was like the woman on the front of the New York Post because I had like. Oh, good God. This, I would die. My mom would die. Everybody in my family a, would have died of embarrassment. Yeah, this would have been a different interview. <laughs> yeah, this would <laughs> have been entirely different. This interview different. wouldn't be happening. Actually, I, I might have been, even been more jealous of you, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, really quick, and I didn't know this about you until uh, in, in just making sure I had dates right, your LinkedIn page, uh, you were at WLW as an intern. Right. Now, I started working there. I was an intern in 1997, and I haven't left. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, Mo. That's pathetic. Uh, and I'm basically still an intern. Um, but that means our time there overlapped in it, Mount Adams. It did. Our paths it, crossed 20 years ago. And I, you know, people don't believe this about me, but I'm actually kind of shy. Yeah. Um, and I know that nobody is going to believe that when I say that, but it's true. I like, was voted I, most shy in high school. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I was not, I forget what, I was voted something. And I know I wasn't. Mm. I can't remember. No, I don't think I was voted anything, but I was shy. Um, I've always been shy. When I'm working, though, I'm not shy. Mm -hmm. So, but because I was just like this college kid doing an internship in the newsroom with Bill Tunis. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I always say Tunis, and I'm like, is that the, that's the cat from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Tunis is the Tunis. Tunis, yeah. (laughs) Bill Tonus, sorry. Bill Tonus, Bill very Tonus, nice man. He was a very nice man. Very and nice he's man. I think like he and his mom would go to mass or something. Like I remember talking to him about this. I don't know. Is Bill, he still around? He uh, he doesn't work there anymore. I think right. he plays Christian music somewhere. Okay, right. I yeah. knew he was kind of like I, I knew was he and his mom either went to mass or yeah. church or something because I had talked to him about this. Um how do I remember that? But Jeff Henderson, you know, is the news director and um you know, I tried to get a job there, too. I was like, oh, I'll go in and be a reporter for WLW. Like, I could maybe I can do that. You know, like, I was just trying to get – I was just trying to get the hell out of college and get a job. That's yeah. all I wanted to do. I just wanted to start working because I felt behind because I had taken some time off. So, yeah, I'm walking in there, and it was weird. I felt really weird. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. You're going to die laughing. I yeah. die laughing all the time. Mike Shell, who's on Channel 19. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was the, he was the evening news anchor. Yeah, yeah. What'd, you, so, what'd you learn from him? Um, he was super nice to me. Okay. He was so nice to me. And so um, his hair was darker then. I remember that because now mm-hmm. he's kind of blonde. And we would just talk. And he, he would do his little newscast every, you know, the top and bottom of the hour. And I remember one time I forgot to record on some feed coming down. I felt really bad about it. But he was nice to me about it. And, uh, yeah, and then Bill Cunningham would come running into the newsroom screaming about stuff or not yeah. in a mean way, but no. just in a like. And it still does. Like yeah. just his like, you know, mm-hmm. how he is. And I was just like, oh, my God, this guy's on the radio all the time. Like, what do I, I, I can't talk to this guy. Like, I never actually spoke to him beyond hello. And uh, who else? Daryl Parks was there. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, he's always seemed kind of like rough. Um <laughs> It's just like this dude seems mean. Oh, that's like, fantastic. <laughs> it was, but it was in Mount Adams, and I would go yeah. in there and I'd be like, "Okay, I'm just." And I would write little stories for the website, 
we'd watch the newscast to see if anybody had anything interesting happening. And they actually had like reporters then that went yeah. out and yes. about. It's, I don't it's think, a lot different now. Right. Yeah. I don't think they have that as much now where you go out with a little box and uh, record people with the. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, um, you know, it's an internship, but I wanted more. I didn't want to just be doing an internship. Right. I wanted like a job yeah. <laughs> where I got paid, not just college credit. And so then um, that was in the days when Clear Channel owned all those radio stations plus Channel 12. And there was this weird friction between 12 and 700 and they, people didn't get along and um, it was weird. So then I applied. I saw a job for 12 in the newspaper for some assignment desk assistant position. I sent in my resume. They saw the 700 link. I guess the guy called Jeff Henderson. Jeff Henderson said, yeah, she was good. Yeah, she was a good intern. And yeah, it unfolded yeah. from there. Is that the voice that he used? No, that okay. was just me, gotcha. like in my. Uh, sure. That was my Jeff Henderson. <laughs> That's pretty good. It should be yeah. more. It should be more actually like Jeff Henderson. Yeah, like I, I can't. I haven't had enough coffee. Statesmanly. Yes, I yes, yes. The, the He's got that voice. Word, yeah. I always wanted a female voice like that. I always feel like my voice is like a white Zen or something. And white his, Zen? his, like I need oh. a, th- I need a, you know, Merlot kind of deep voice. Yeah. That's how well, I, I wish it. I had one of those too. Yeah. I grew up listening to Bob Trumpy do sports talk, yeah. and he has a voice that it's it's just the greatest of all time. Right. It would require me smoking two right uh, too many of packs of cigarettes a day yeah. in order to achieve that, and so I <laughs> I chose not to, and I'm I'm stuck with this. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and it's funny you say that because yeah, but 700. It was weird. It was just wild because I would be in there, and I really only remember Daryl Parks and. Bill Cunningham and um, I don't think I remember Mike McConnell and uh, was Mike McConnell doing like nine to noon? Mike then? was on uh, nine to noon, and then My- Gary Burbank I think was three to six. He was three to six, but I don't remember even seeing him there. Uh, if I did, I don't remember. Well, he worked on a different floor, oh, okay. and you couldn't go up there unless you know there, you had a real reason to go up there to bother Gary. I worked on the morning show with Jim, so I was there mm. you know, five a.m. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, uh, that was how I started, but I, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that about you. So we were, I guess you weren't a coworker of mine, but we were there at the same time. Yeah, we definitely overlapped. Um, I was there for two, two quarters, I guess that's when UC was on quarters. So yeah, it was, uh, so I would just go in there and yeah, do my thing and hope to get something on my resume to get my foot in the door somewhere. After, you know, the, the trip to Rolling Stone didn't work out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How ridiculous yeah. is that? A shy person, by the way, doesn't just walk into Rolling Stone and here's my resume, hire him. Did you have any writing samples? I mean, was there anything that they could look at and go? Uh, I did have a, I think yeah. I did have a thing with me. Okay. A, um, oh, good. Portfolio? Yeah, yeah. Like back, you know, when you had to actually put paper in the little sleeves and, um, yeah. you know, I was shy. But, I mean, if I had been less shy, I probably would have gotten a meeting with somebody. But, yeah. like, you know, I didn't schmooze enough, I think, up at the reception desk. So you got to get past the receptionist. Yeah. That's key. I can't thank you enough for doing this. I'm a huge fan of your work. <laughs> You're sweet. Uh, well, no, you. I, I, I mean. We, thank we, you for having me. I, I'm, I was so honored when Mark reached out. I was like, oh, my goodness. that It was humbling. I was like, this is amazing that Mo wants to talk to me. We jotted down a list of people we wanted, and I think I said, Anjanette might be the person that goes, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to go on with Sports Boy and do his little podcast. Oh, that's so. horrible that you would think that about me. That sounds so mean. I know. I will speak with you anytime. This has been lovely. Thanks so much. All right, good stuff right there. Thanks to Anjanette Levy for giving me about an hour of her time. I know she's extraordinarily busy. 
I appreciate you giving us an hour of your time. Uh, don't forget a couple of things. First of all, episode one, Paul Doherty, the recently retired sports columnist for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh, if you missed that conversation, it is available wherever you found this podcast. And uh, also, if you can, I'm supposed to say this. I think you're obligated as a podcaster to say stuff like, please like, subscribe, and review. Oh, and rate as well. That's a lot of work. You can do that stuff. You don't have to. Either way, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Moegger Podcast.